Well, the other day I uh, had my Tennessee Titans shirt on and I was out in public and I heard someone just shout out, go Titans. And I, I was a little surprised because I didn't know anyone. And then all of a sudden in this room filled with strangers, it was like I had this unity, this connection, this camaraderie, all because we, we shared an interest in the same team. And we all know what it's like to some degree to have natural unity with other people. So you can have a natural unity because a couple people like the same restaurant as you or the type of food, or you drive a particular type of car, or you have a hobby, or in that case, like I just mentioned, you, you share a similar sports team. And so there is such thing as a natural unity. But then the Bible speaks about the fact that when you become a Christian, there's actually a supernatural unity that you and I have once we become Christians. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, uh, verse five, it says this, so we in Christ, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. And so there's such a thing as natural unity, but then there is this supernatural unity that when you become a Christian, you have a whole different operating system. And now you and I, although we might not know each other, there is this, this affection, this unity, this depth that we have because we are united by the body and the blood of Jesus. What is so amazing about this is I would contend the only force in the entire universe I mean, the only force in the entire universe that is able to take so many people of diverse backgrounds, different ethnicities, different beliefs, different values, different genders, different ages, different preferences and likes, the only thing that can take so many different people from opposite spectrums and supernaturally unite them is the power of the gospel. And that's what Paul says. In fact, that's why we're here today on this United Weekend, because we want to operate with this mindset that although we are kind of three expressions of the heights with uh, the traditional service and the 11 o'clock contemporary service and the heights in Spanish, that we are supernaturally united in the power and the blood of Jesus. But here's what's interesting. Uh, the, the church should be different than the rest of the world. And we would all admit that this particular time in the cultural moment we are in, there's just heightened tension and division in the world. I mean, everyone is feeling to some degree the weight of tension, division, animosity, hostility. And yet the church should be a place that is different. But if we're honest, it feels like maybe for the first time in our cultural moment, it feels like the church actually reflects the temperature of the world around us. There seems to be divisions and preferences and arguments and different theologies that are almost creating these, these uh, factions in the church that is causing division and separation. And so we have this unity issue, but can I just submit to you what I believe the issue is? I don't believe that in the church what we have is a unity issue. I believe what we have is a humility issue. Again, what I believe the issue in the church is, is not a unity issue, it is a humility issue. And Paul actually speaks to this in Romans chapter 12, verse three and four, listen to what he says. For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, these members do not all have the same function. And so what you have here, Paul is saying, it's not really a unity issue, it is a humility issue. You have some people in this church in Rome 
then in essence think their gifts or their opinions or their thoughts are more important than others. And so now you have this division that is happening. And what Paul wants us to understand is the way of unity with so many different backgrounds and so many different perspectives and so many different thoughts and and so many different ages is that we have to be a people that are humbled and marked by the love and the submission to serve and build one another up. See, what Paul wants us to understand is you cannot be spiritually mature without also being humble. To be spiritually mature is to be humble. Think about Jesus in his life. When you look at Jesus' life, there is nobody else in all of human history that I would contend modeled this way of Jesus, this way of divinity, where the Bible says that he spoke the world into existence. The Bible said that he was so powerful that the wind and the waves obeyed his commands. The Bible says that demons and darkness would tremble in his presence. The Bible says that he raised people from the grave. He himself rose and conquered the grave. And Jesus is full divinity and full power. But also in Jesus, what you have is full humility. Jesus is sitting with the outcast, born in the middle of nowhere, obscure Bethlehem, where he is not being heralded as a king. He is literally born and most of the world doesn't even recognize it. He is humbly riding on a donkey, not a glamorous sports car of the day like a war horse. Jesus is serving the disciples and washing their nasty, mud-caked feet. Jesus is the definition of humility. And so in him, you have divinity and humility. And there's been a lot of people throughout history who have, who have been humble, but they never claimed to be God. And there are people who've claimed to be God like Caesar, and yet they operate like Hitler. But in Jesus is perfect divinity. And then this beautiful humility. And if we are going to be followers of the way of Jesus, we have to be people who are marked by a humility like Jesus. We have to be people, like Paul says, who think about ourselves with a sober judgment. And literally he goes on to say that in faith, we understand that everything we have been given has been distributed by God. So what that means is every good and perfect gift you have and I have has been given to us by God. Your wealth, your accolades, your accomplishments, your resources, whatever you have is a gift from God. And oftentimes when you say this, people go, you know what, like I kind of get that, but God didn't go to law school for me. And God didn't wake up at four in the morning and do these things and take care of the kids or do this different lifestyle thing. But can I just submit to you humbly, where did you get those gifts? Where did you get that knowledge? Where did you get those abilities? The Bible says every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. And Paul's saying even your faith, your very faith, if you're gifted and knowledgeable and you've been following Jesus, your very faith is a gift from God. I love what Dallas Willard says. He says, God is not opposed to effort. He's just opposed to earning. Paul is saying, we cannot be people that think of ourselves without a sober judgment because we didn't earn anything when it comes to the gospel. What you and I brought was our sin and our brokenness and what we got was the righteousness and the love of God. So we must be people who operate with a humility. But let me just issue this one warning. The only people who can be humble are secure people. Secure people are the only people who can really be humble. In fact, what's interesting is this word humility was a word in Greco-Roman culture that had no good associated with it. 
In fact, it literally meant in Greco-Roman culture, humiliation. And then all of a sudden, Jesus enters the scenes, the disciples enter the scene, and Paul enters the scene, and they repurpose this word, and it literally means submission, a willing submission out of security. Basically meaning, I don't have this lowly view of myself, I have this view that I have everything of value and worth in Jesus, so I will willingly lay my life down for you. The reason that I can forgive you when I've been wronged or wounded is because in essence, I have joy in life in Jesus. The reason I can walk into a room and not try to take the attention or the affection of people in that room is because I've already found it in Jesus. I am a treasured child of God, I have value, purpose, worth, and I don't need it in the stuff of this world. So I can willingly, in security and dignity, serve you and serve your interests. See, I think there are two false views of pride or false views of the self. First is to be self-inflated. And self-inflated is what Paul says here, is not to operate with a sober judgment. It's to think of yourself as more important than you really are to think that you've earned everything. But the other one is a more subtle form of pride. And it's really this idea of self-pity. Woe is me. I don't have the same opportunities as everyone else. But the invitation that we are given by Jesus and Paul in this passage is not one of self-pity and it is not one of being self-inflated. It is the way of Jesus. It is an invitation into self-forgetfulness. I wanna invite you just to think about this idea of, of being a, a person who operates with a self-forgetfulness. I love what C.S. Lewis says about humility. He says this, do not imagine that if you meet a really humble man, he will be what most people call humble nowadays. He will probably not be a sort of person who is always telling you that of course he is a nobody. Probably all you'll think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. See, this is the invitation of self-forgetfulness. See, I remember when I was first dating Steph, there were times when we were, we were first dating that like we would talk for hours. We got so caught up in each other's presence, presence that we'd talk for hours and forget to eat. And it is possible to be so caught up in the goodness, the joy, the life of God that you operate as this passage invites us to with a self-forgetfulness because your eyes are so fixed on Jesus. How are you doing in this area of humility? How are you doing in self-forgetfulness? Here's a couple questions that can be a litmus test for how you're doing in this area. First, how much do you celebrate the victories of other people? And then number two, how much do you talk about yourself? I invite you to take a 24-hour self-forgetfulness challenge. I literally one time was challenged about this idea of not speaking about myself, and so I decided to take this challenge for 24 hours. I didn't talk about myself, my weekend, my plans, my thoughts, my ideas, and I was troubled and sobered by how little I actually had to say that particular day. So I believe what Paul is inviting the Roman church into, and he's also inviting the Heights into, is he's inviting us to deal with this issue of unity, which is really an issue of humility. So will we be people this week, today, who operate with a self-forgetfulness so that we can exalt the King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus above everything else?